Good morning, Forest Park. Good to see you guys today. Kicking off a brand new series, Red Flag Relationships. Really excited about this. I want to begin by asking a question. Do you pay attention to peculiar or odd behaviors and gauge a person, size a person up based on whether or not, you know, he or she does these particular unusual things like this, uh, wearing socks to bed. That's just weird. If you do that, that's just a weird thing. Mark it, red flag it, be careful about that person. Uh, Pouring milk before cereal. Anybody do that? You pour the milk in, then add the cereal. Get away from that person if you're dating them. Don't go any further. Here's the, here's the worst one than that is you pour the cereal milk out and you don't even drink it. Anybody do that? I know people that hate the milk afterwards. They just pour it out. That's just pineapple on pizza. Anybody put pineapple on pizza? You like that? You're crazy. You're weird. You got problems. Reading a text but never, not actually returning the text. Oh, I hate that. You see it, read receipt, and then you never get an answer back. This aggravates me. Those are a little, little humorous, a little silly, you know. What, what are we talking about, really, about red flag relationships? What, what's this series about? Well, red flags serve as warnings. They signal something is wrong or potentially could go wrong. What are a few red flags in relationships? Well, that's what this entire series is about. We're going to take a look at one today, one next week, one the following. We're going to kind of count down. I'll give you number four today, number three, number two, number one. We're going to work our way slowly through this because there's a lot of information, a lot of things that I want to deposit into you. So let's open by, by saying this. I think there's a football game tonight. I'm not sure, but I believe there is one. And when you watch football games, you notice that they throw flags, the referee throws flags at certain times during the game. Why? Well, it means that an appropriate play or a behavior or something was was made and it was not correct. It was wrong. Something was, was off. So they throw the flag, which is a notice, stop the game, let's fix the, fix the situation. You know, most often there's a penalty assigned or something, and then the game can continue. Okay, that's what a flag does. It's a warning. It's stop. Hey, something's wrong. Something's not fair here. Can you imagine if we had these, a referee that could uh, be present during relationships and anytime something goes wrong, the referee could throw the flag? I mean, you'd be sitting at dinner with our family. The wife makes a smart aleck comment out of nowhere. The whistle's blown, flag's thrown, wife loses dessert. Just like that. Boom. It's just done. You're doing your taxes, this is tax season, you put a number in that isn't accurate, whistle's blown, lying flag is thrown, you got to redo that part of your tax information. You get back from a fishing trip, you talk about the big one that got away, whistle's blown, flag is thrown, story's got to be retold with the correct size of the fish, you know? Can you imagine that? Well, those, you know, those are a few flags that we can kind of work through. Those are a few flags that, you know, not that big of a deal, we'll get over it. But, and this is where I want you to really pay attention as we kind of buckle down for this message. There are some flags you cannot afford to ignore. When you go to the beach in the summer, occasionally there are warning flags put out. Warnings of, you know, riptides or there's no lifeguard on duty here. Strong currents. There's a hurricane imminent. You're swimming. If you choose to ignore those flags, you are swimming at your own risk. If you choose to ignore those flags and get into the water anyway, you risk your life. And it is exactly the same way with relational flags. 
There are some flags in a relationship, you can pay attention to them, you can work through them, you can get on the other side, and everything overall is going to be okay. But there are other flags, if you ignore them, if you keep moving beyond those flags, if you ignore the, the warning and you don't pay attention to it, you are relationing at your own risk. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because when you look back at the history of your relationships, you have example after example. In fact, when you, when you look back at the relationships in your life that ended ugly, and I think if we went around this room this morning, everybody would have at least one story of a relationship that ended badly. And I don't mean just romantic relationships. It could be a business partnership you had. It could be just a best friend or a group of people who were friends for a number of years and something happened and the whole thing fell apart and there was pain and there was ugliness spread around. And if you look back at that relationship or a series of relationships, if you are honest and you are transparent, you will say and you will admit that there were red flags in that relationship, but you didn't know what to call them. You're like, well, you know, maybe I'm being a little too sensitive. Maybe I'm making more of it than I need to. And you just let it go. Or you are so caught up in the pleasure of the relationship, so caught up in the benefits that you receive from the relationship that you chose to ignore them. And after that relationship ends, after it turns sour, after there's pain, after there's misery, after your heart's broken, after the whole thing falls apart, you look back and you go, you know what? I knew it. I know I should, I should have listened. My mom was right. My wife was right. I should have paid attention. I knew it was there. I know better than that. I knew it was there, but I ignored it. So here's the whole deal with this, with this series. What if we could learn to notice the red flags and respond, break it off, unhitch ourselves from the partnership, move on to other friends before the pain, before our hearts are crushed, before we lose the money, before we file for bankruptcy, before the divorce, before the custody battles, before all the things that bring so much pain. What if we could learn to pay attention to flags, notice them, and respond appropriately. Now, I'm going to warn you as we begin this series. I'm going to give you a lot of information, give you a lot of different things for you to think on. You're going to chew on a lot of this when you leave. And if you pay attention, if you learn, if you take notes, if you listen to everything we say in this series, some current relationships you have in your life will change. I guarantee you they will. Some dating relationships wind. Some friendships will cease. Some marriages might end. Others will go into counseling. Some will erect some strong boundaries, and the dynamic of the relationship will completely change because you're going to say, this far, no further. And know this, the flags have no care one way or the other. You can accept or you can reject their warnings. There is no emotion. If you go to the beach and there are several flags indicating strong riptides or other flags warning you there's no lifeguard on duty, you can ignore those flags, go right into the water, and the flags have no emotional connection to you. They're just there. 
The flags are just there warning you. You can pass them. You can pay no attention to them. You can go in the water and you can drown. The flags are non-emotional. They are simply there to warn you. And it is the exact same way with relationships. The flags are there. And there's no emotion connected to them. They warn you, but you have a choice in the matter. You can ignore them or you can respond to them. You can walk past them. You can get in, in the end, experience divorce, pain, broken hearts, friendships go down, businesses fail, whatever. Or you can respond to them and walk away before it's too late. And here's what I've learned, though. When it comes to relationships... And this is why I want to do this whole series. When it comes to relationships, paying attention to red flags are especially difficult. When you go to the beach, the flag is there or it's not. The referee throws the flag during the game or the referee doesn't throw the flag during the game. But when it comes to relationships, it's hard sometimes to see it in the moment. You see it afterwards, but it's hard to see it in the moment. And here's why. One word, okay? Investment investment. Years ago, I, I bought Cameron, my youngest daughter, a, a used car, and I did not read up on the reviews. I should have read up on the reviews, but I didn't, I, and it was a good deal, so I bought it. A couple months into her driving it, we began having some problems. I took it in. They told me the issue. I paid to have it fixed. A few months later, more problems, more fixing. A few months later, more problems, more fixing. A year later, major problems. And I began to get leery about fixing it. Watch. But somewhere back there, I don't know when, but somewhere back then after I bought it and after I started paying on it and after we started getting things fixed, somewhere back there I crossed an invisible line where I had invested so much, now I was committed. And I couldn't abandon the car, at least I didn't think I could. I had so much money tied up in it. I had so much time tied up in it. Man, if I get rid of this car, I'll never get my money back. And I convinced myself that this one more fix will take care of all the problems. Do you see the connection to relationships? Sure you do. Some of us have invested so much into our boyfriend so much into our employee, so much into our best friend. We've given so much. We've tried so hard. We've sacrificed. We've convinced ourselves, if I keep trying, he will get better. If I keep trying, she will turn a corner. If I keep trying, they will cease lying. If I keep trying, he'll get a job. On and on. We've convinced ourselves that just a little bit more, just one more go, and everything will smooth out. Folks, just take it from someone who's been down the road, who's counseled people, who's led churches, who's tried to understand how human relationships work. Rarely does it get better. You know what happens? We just learn to cope. For instance, the car that I bought, Cameron, the air conditioning fan inside the car doesn't work right. It's either off or like all the way on. So what do you do? You, you, you just accommodate. You, you just cope. That's just the way it is. The driver's side window doesn't go down. So if you want to go through a drive-thru, you got to open the door and kind of reach around with the credit card and get the food. You just accommodate. It, it doesn't get better. You, you just get used to it. 
It doesn't get better. You just change your life to fit around all the problems. Now, let's pause for an intermediate public service inspirational download or a guilt trip, ever, ever, ever how it fits. This is one of the reasons I caution people about having sex too early in a relationship. Sex is an emotional investment. Sex is a physical investment. Sex is a spiritual investment. And it clouds a person's ability to notice and respond to red flags. Well, Scott, I've invested so much of my heart and soul into him. I I can't just walk away now. Well, I know, but he has some real issues. I mean, I'm not even sure you can trust him. I know, but I love him. And he's a good person. I mean, when you take away the lying and the cheating and the yelling at me and calling me names, and and if he would just get a job and pay his own bills, you would see he's a really good person. The investment clouds your judgment. Listen, you, you can take it, you can leave it. But the more you engage yourself with this person, especially the more sex you have with this person, the more difficult it becomes slowly to notice the red flags. You will have a challenging time walking away. You will keep making excuses. Just one more time. Just one more conversation. Just one more argument. Just one more this. Just one more that. You cross the line somewhere back there, and now you make excuses to stay in it. But this series is not just about romantic relationships, okay? It's about all relationships. Whether you're married, divorced, dating, single, friends with a person, you, you know, you and your spouse have a couple that you're friends with or colleagues, employer, employee, it doesn't matter. What we're going to talk about over the next few weeks are four red flags, four warning signs, and it can be part of any relationship whatsoever. If they are present, take warning. If you don't deal with these flags, these flags will deal with you. Now, one more comment before we get to the first flag, okay? These four flags, and we're going to cover them over the next few weeks, are far from exhaustive. I sat down and began to list some flags. I came up with 10 or 12, okay? I saw an article when I was doing some research that listed 50 different warning signs in relationships, all right? So there's a lot. So this, what I give you is not all. You're going to go, well, he didn't even say anything about blank. or that. Well, of course, there's a lot more out there. I'm just going to give you four big ones, and you ignore them at your own risk. Are you ready for the first one? Yes, we are ready. Keep myself encouraged. Number four, they emotionally use you. Now, let's talk about emotional health for a moment. This is not a subject a lot of people understand. You see it, okay, in other words, you experience emotional health or emotional unhealth or immaturity, but you've never been able to define it. You, didn't, you couldn't put, your, you know, put a definition down, but you certainly know emotional health when you see it, and you know emotional immaturity when you see it. In fact, a few of you are surrounded, and I don't mean sitting in this room right now, but I'm talking about in your life, a few of you are surrounded by emotionally unhealthy people. You just didn't know what it was called. Well, you're going to walk out of here today, and you're going to know exactly what it is. 
And then you're going to walk out and you're going to start thinking through some folks in your life and you're going to go, wow, that person is emotionally unhealthy. In fact, you might walk out of here today and go, you know what? It's not that they are emotionally unhealthy. It's I'm emotionally unhealthy. I have no idea. But hopefully after today, you'll have a better idea what it is. All right, what, what, what is an emotionally healthy person? Let's start with kind of the definition of what it is, and then we'll understand when you don't, you don't see it. One of the best definitions of an emotionally healthy person, I read this definition uh, just this past week from Kelly Miller. I love this definition because it's so simple, it's easy to memorize. Here's how she defines emotional health. Emotional health is the ability to manage feelings through challenge and change. Very simple. It's the ability to manage your feelings through challenges of life and through the changes of life. Folks, life is filled with challenges and changes. They come at us all the time. An emotionally healthy person can ride the wave of challenges and ride the wave of changes without losing it. They can ride the wave of the things that have come into our life without lashing out, without hurting others, without falling apart, without quitting. An emotionally unhealthy person, when challenges come into their life unplanned, when changes happen in their life unplanned, they immediately begin to come unraveled. So do you know someone who, when things do not go as planned, break down, get angry, throw a fit, cry unfair, talk about it over and over and over again, almost as if life is out to get them. They, they are the most unlucky person in the world. I knew that was going to happen to me. It always happens to me. I have a big victim, you know, name tag on. Everything bad that can possibly happens, happens to me. You're dealing with an emotionally unhealthy person. They're unable to manage their feelings through the ebbs and flows of life. And I've learned people who are emotionally unhealthy will call their behavior anything but immature. They will say things like this. That's just my personality. Well, look, I'm just like my dad. It, it's, it, it runs in the family. You mean throwing fits runs in the It runs in the family. You mean getting mad and lashing out? Runs in the family. You mean being a victim? It runs in the family, okay? They don't want to call it that. It just runs in the family, just like my dad. It's the, and you can add last name or any kind of ethnicity you want to. It, it, it's the, my last name, Neil. It's the Neil in me. It's the whatever ethnicity you want to add in there. It's that in me. It's not really me. It's this thing out there. Or... If you raise a concern over their emotional immaturity, they will blame everyone rather than take responsibility. You hear things like this. You're too sensitive. You are making a big deal over this. You don't know how to forgive. You keep bringing up the past. Here, here's a thought for you. Whenever you bring up something of the past and you're doing it legitimately, you're not doing it to hurt, you're not doing it literally to become a victim yourself, but if there's a pattern going on in a person's life and you bring up the past, maybe it's not that you're digging up the past, it's that you're doing everything you can to protect your future. Because listen to me very carefully, the best predictor of tomorrow is yesterday. If something doesn't radically change, the behaviors of yesterday will be repeated tomorrow. So it's not that you're just bringing up the past. Now, you might be doing that. You have to ask yourself whether that's true or not. 
But if something doesn't change, what happened yesterday will happen again tomorrow because we build patterns in our life. We get ourselves in ruts. We build habits and we keep repeating the same habits. Peter Scazzaro, he has written extensively about emotional health. He's a uh, pastor for years in New York City and has worked hard at, as, as a result of his own emotional breakdown. And he's studied on emotions and has a great book out called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship and what that looks like. In his book, he, he defines what it means to be an emotional infant, an emotional child, an emotional adolescent, and an emotional adult. All right? So let, let me just kind of run through this. That's a lot of information, detail. What, what does it mean to be an emotional infant, an emotional baby? Here's how he describes an emotional infant. An emotional infant, I look for other people to take care of me emotionally and spiritually. I, have often, I often have difficulty in describing and experiencing my feelings in healthy ways and rarely enter the emotional world of other people. I'm consistently driven by a need for instant gratification and often using others as objects to meet my needs. People sometimes perceive me as inconsiderate and insensitive. I am comf uncomfortable with silence, and being alone. That's how he describes an emotional infant. They're just, they're unable to, to wait. They're not patient. Instant gratification. I don't, I don't like to be alone. I want someone around all the time. Take care of me. Meet my needs. An emotional child, kind of moving up a little bit. When life is going my way, I am content. However, as soon as disappointment or stress enter the picture, I quickly unravel on the inside. I often take things personally. Interpreting disagreements or criticism as a personal offense. When I don't get my way, I often complain, withdraw, manipulate, drag my feet, become sarcastic, take revenge. An emotional adolescent or an emotional teenager. I don't like it when others question me. I often make quick judgments and interpretation. I interpret other people's behavior and judge them quickly. I withhold forgiveness from those who sin against me, avoiding or cutting them off when they do something to hurt me. I subconsciously keep records of the love I give out. I have trouble really listening to another person's pain or disappointment because I'm always preoccupied with me. Don't lift your hand on this question, okay? But do you know a few emotional infants in your life? Do you know a few emotional children? Do you know a few emotional teenagers in your life? Are you dating one? Are you married to one? Did you give birth to one or two? Are you in business with one? What about a group of friends? And one or more of them are just emotional infants. They get all the attention. Always things are happening in their life. Always need everybody to look out for them. They can't handle when things go wrong. It's, it's everybody has to focus on them. Physically, she's 30. Emotionally, she's 14. Emotional immaturity knows no boundaries, folks. Nor is it assigned to any one kind of person. You can be poor and emotionally unhealthy. You can be rich and emotionally unhealthy. 
You can be beautiful and emotionally unhealthy. You can be male, female, black, white, married, single, Christian, atheist. It doesn't matter. You can be any of those things and be emotionally unhealthy. It doesn't matter. Emotional immaturity knows no bounds. And I'm warning you, I'm warning you, take it or leave it. If you stay with an emotionally immature person, you will be hurt or deeply disappointed. It's just a matter of time. It will happen. So what's an emotional adult? That's a great question. What is an emotional adult? Scazzaro defines an emotional adult. Here's our goal. Here's where we want to eventually be. Here's, here's, here's where you're going to be in the best relationship with someone and you to be the most healthy you can be. An emotionally healthy adult. adult. I respect and love others without having to change them or becoming judgmental. I value people for who they are, not for what they can give me or how they behave. I take responsibility for my own thoughts, my own feelings, my own goals, my own actions. I can state my own beliefs and values to those who disagree with me without becoming adversarial. I am able to accurately self-assess my limits, my strengths, my weaknesses. Did you notice the focus is not really about your problems and you're the issue and you're the problem and you, it's I take responsibility. An emotional adult, I take responsibility for who I am. That's what you want and that's what you should want for the people for whom you are relationing. All right, now, for the balance of this message, here's what I want to do. We're going to go in a minute. I want to dig in deep in one area. Because I'm telling you, there are a hundred different examples we could give for emotional immaturity and how it manifests itself in our life and where a flag can get thrown. But this is one message. We can't deal with them all. So here's what I thought I would do. I want to pick one area, one common area where we see emotional immaturity on display and I want to go deep. All right? And here it is. When this person does something to hurt you, an emotionally immature person does something to hurt you, okay? Breaks your trust, sins against you, violates your boundaries or whatever, they will say, I'm sorry. Now, pause. Saying I'm sorry isn't a problem. In fact, saying I'm sorry is a good thing. And being emotionally healthy doesn't mean a person won't hurt you. Or won't sin against you. You can have an emotionally healthy wife and she hurts you. You can have an emotionally healthy husband and he hurts you. You can have an emotionally healthy friend and they hurt you. They break a boundary. Why? Because we're imperfect. We sin. We mess up. We're not going to be perfect husbands, perfect wives, perfect parents, perfect children, perfect friends. We're going to mess up in this life. We're going to wound one another. That's just part of it. Being emotionally healthy is not up the same as being perfect. All right? Here's the difference. Emotionally unhealthy people hurt you and they say they're sorry and you forgive only for those people to hurt you again in the same area and they apologize and you forgive only for them to hurt you again in the same area and ask for forgiveness again. Here's the issue. Emotionally immature people rarely change for good. Or it takes a long, long time with a lot of damage in their wake for them to change. And when they apologize, they are convincing because they're often 
emotional infants, emotional children. There's lots of tears. There's lots of promises. And they appear to be genuine with all of that emotion. And in the moment, they are sorry. In the moment, they feel badly. In the moment, they are sincerely emotional, but it is short-lived because they do not have the emotional capacity to maintain their emotions next time the situation arises. So, you get into a disagreement again, and what happens? He lashes back at you and says all the things that break your heart again. She begins to say these things and hurt you or damage you. Or the temptation is presented and they don't have the emotional capacity to say no. And they fall right back into the temptation again. And then they're sorry. And they say, I won't ever do it again. And you give forgiveness. And what happens? They go right back into the same thing again. And it's a cycle. And it happens once, twice, a month, a year, a decade. When the going gets tough, they quit. When they get tired, they lash out. They don't have the emotional capacity to maintain steadiness. So when things don't go their way, they lose it. When they're disappointed, they lash out. They complain. They whine. They pout until someone gives in. They use the silent treatment. They intimidate. They bargain. They become sarcastic. They become abusive. And then when it all hits the fan, they cry and apologize and promise they will never do it again. And here's where it gets so tough. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to do. Because you care for them. You don't want to see them hurt. You are compassionate and you are understanding and you are loving. But you also don't want a miserable existence. And here it is. You've invested so much. And somewhere back there, you crossed the line. And you're like, but we've got years in this. But we've got money tied up in this. But I can't let it go now. And here's where it gets ugly. If you begin to put boundaries in place at this point, they begin to use your faith. And I've seen this over and over again. They begin to use your faith and your character and your spiritual values against you. They'll say things like this. I thought you believed in forgiveness. Hey, I thought it was no perfect people allowed over there at that church you go to. Hey, what about our kids? What about all that we've been through together? You don't really love me like you say you do. You are a hypocrite. Wait a minute. What about all of our partnership? What about all the money we've invested? I know, it's tough. And if you're experiencing any of this, they are emotionally using you. But Scott, I don't, I don't want to be difficult. I mean, I, I want to give people a chance to change. I believe in forgiveness and grace and the love of Jesus. You talk about that all the time. You preach that all the time. Plus, I've invested so much into this relationship. I can't just let it die. You don't have to. Like, you don't have to quit. You don't have to walk away. No, the flags are there. No emotion tied to this at all. But I tell you what will die. And you'll wake up one day and you'll say, all the years, all the emotion, all the energy, all the passion, all the forgiveness, all the stuff, and I'm exactly where I was 20 years ago. 
Well, Scott, how do I know if they're really sorry? I mean, people can change, right? Absolutely. People, people can become better. Yes. Well, I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to be difficult. So how can I know when a person is truly sorry? I'm so glad you asked because I, I've prepared an answer to that question. How do you know? Genuine sorrow leads to lasting change. That's all there is to it. Now, I want to give you a scripture. Something like it's about time. I want to give you a scripture. And I waited to this point because I wanted to build all that up to show you just how incredible God's word comes along in the middle of all these questions, in the middle of all this debate, in the middle of all the myriad of emotions that we have here, and answers this very question so clearly. And here's what you need to pay attention to when it comes to genuine sorrow versus fake sorrow. And there are two different kinds of sorrow. Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and he's writing to the Christians in the city of Corinth. And here's what he says in verse 9. Now, I am glad I sent it. Pause. What is he talking about? I'm glad I sent it. What is it? It was an earlier letter he sent to the Christians in the city of Corinth. And it was a letter that was detailed, and it rebuked some of the behaviors that the Christians had been participating in. So he sent a letter that was strong and rebuked them, basically said, you guys have got to stop. What were they doing? They were suing one another. They were uh, favoring wealthy people and ignoring the poor people. They were showing favoritism. They were having relationships with people in the church they shouldn't be having relationships with. It was ugly. So Paul sent this letter to them and said, stop. You need to stop. You're destroying one another. You're destroying what love is supposed to be in the church. You've got to stop this stuff. Now watch, I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to what? What? The pain caused you to repent and what? Change your ways. Repentance and change your ways. They're one and the same. True sorrow equals changing of ways. True sorrow leads you to true repentance. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So that means that that tells me that there's different kinds of sorrow. This kind of sorrow is the sorrow God wants you to have because we know that being sorrowful, if it leads us to change, is a good thing. This is the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. Yeah, I was hard on you. Yeah, I was tough on you. Yeah, I brought out the behaviors that were damaging. But it wasn't because I didn't love you. I did that because I wanted to see true sorrow get started inside of you because true sorrow will lead to ultimate lasting change. Verse 10, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. And he's not talking about just eternal salvation. He's talking about the salvation in all of our life, our family salvation, our mental salvation, peace, hope, joy, love, forgiveness, restoration, relational healing, all kinds of salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. Now, there is a kind of sorrow that you just feel bad and 
I promise I'll never do it again, and, you know, I, I, I won't ever sin again, and then you do. But there's a different kind of sorrow where you feel sorry, and that feeling of sorrow leads you down the path of genuine change. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience, it leads us away from sin. No regret in that kind of sorrow. Now watch this. He contrasts it. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance. Did you notice that? You can have a sorrow without repentance. Emotionally unhealthy people are sorrowful, but they don't change. They don't repent. Healthy emotional people repent and change. Don't lift your hand on this. But do you not know a lot of people who've been sorrowful over a lot of things, but they get right back up and do the same thing again? Something's wrong. It's a different kind of sorrow. It's not the same kind. Worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. 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 I got to show you this, this, this next couple of verses. I'm just going to begin to unpack them, and then we're going to go. You're going to walk out. You're going to have other questions. Fine. Come back next week. We'll talk about it some more. Verse 11, Paul begins to break down what true repentance looks like. And he gives examples of when a person is truly repentant, this is what you will see in their life. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. When you have genuine godly sorrow, you really are sorry for what's happened. There's going to be some behaviors that you're going to notice in people's lives. Here they are. Such earnestness. Such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. Paul provided clear explanation of what real sorrow is, what genuine repentance looks like, and how emotionally healthy people say they're sorry. Notice the behaviors of a truly repentant person. I'm going to list them for you. First thing Paul says is they take their wrong seriously. Such earnestness means sincerity. When someone is pointed out, you truly see the wrong, you are sincere. You are honest. You are, I, I'm, not, I'm not playing with this. I'm not calling it a different name. I was wrong. Boom. Second thing he says is they change the direction of their life. He says, you have a desire to clear your name. The person wants to leave a legacy that's different than what is going on in the moment. I don't want my kids to think of me like this. I don't want my legacy to be like this. I'm going to change the direction of my life so that my life is different when I get to the end than where it is right now. I want to change the direction of my life. The third behavior you see is there's a genuine anger over what you did. You think to yourself, how did I do that? I just, I am angry that I would do that to her. I'm angry that I would do that to him. I'm angry that I would do that to them. The fourth is there is a shock. There is an alarm. There is a sense of like, I just, I am just blown away that I would allow myself to get to this place. I'm shocked. The fifth behavior is he said, there's a longing to see me. In other words, Paul, you wrote this letter, you rebuked our behavior, we are broken, we are sorry. I want to see you, Paul. I want to look you in the eye. A truly repentant person doesn't hide, 
A truly repentant person doesn't dodge. A truly repentant person looks the person in the eye they wounded and admit they're wrong and face the consequences. Number six, a zeal. That's a determination to make things right. From this point forward, I'm going to make things right. What does that mean? It could mean restitution. It could mean paying back money you stole. It could mean a host of different things, but I'm determined to make things right. And the seventh thing that he mentions is I'm willing to punish the wrong, repair what I've done, and do whatever is necessary to ensure I don't do it again. What's a real godly sorrow? It's a person who takes what they did seriously. They don't laugh about it. They don't shrug it off. They don't say, oh, it's just my family. Oh, it's just my personality. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. You take it seriously. You change the direction of your life. There's a sense of anger over what you've done. You're angry at yourself for doing that stuff. You're shocked at the hurt you've caused. No hiding, no dodging. You're willing to answer the questions. You're determined to make things right. And you're willing to do whatever is necessary to get it done. That's emotionally healthy people. That's a genuinely repentant person. Folks, let me just say this. None of us do it right all the time. None of us are perfect. Okay? We screw it up. We mess it up. But that causes me to want to do some thinking and some real introspection and coming to God and saying, God, change me to be a real truly repentant person. So here's some questions and we're going to go. Is, any, is anyone in your life right now emotionally using you? Are you emotionally using somebody? Are they truly repentant? Are you? And are you willing to walk away before it's too late? Well, Scott, I mean, what you're suggesting is extremely difficult. I mean, I can't just walk away. There's, there's lots of things at stake. There's a lot of investment. There's money tied up. There's relationships beyond me. I get it. 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 So here's what I suggest, okay? At least be aware of what's going on. Knowledge is power. You should know the truth. Truth sets you free. So know what's happening. At least identify what's going on. Don't be the victim anymore. At least you're no longer ignorant about what people are doing to you or that person. And number two, last thing, do what Paul did here and see what happens. What do you mean? Confront the behavior and see whether or not they're really repentant. Confront it in a loving way, but in a clear way. Hey, maybe the person will change. Maybe they'll stop. Maybe they'll take the wrong seriously. Hey, we all need a chance to change. We, we, we all need a chance to repent. None of us are perfect. I've hurt my wife, I've hurt my kids, I've hurt friends. You have too. We all need a chance. Nobody's saying kick anybody out. Nobody is saying don't ever, you know, don't ever give them another chance. That's not where, I'm not even saying don't even give them a few chances. That's not what I'm saying either. But there's a line we cross. We got to know where that line is. We've got to pay attention. We got to know. Maybe they'll change. Maybe they'll change their life. Maybe they'll, they'll, you'll sense an anger in them. Maybe you'll sense the shock. Maybe they really haven't ever come to their senses. And by you confronting and dealing with it, it'll give them an opportunity to go, you're right. I'm wrong. Maybe not. But I do know this. Changing, or I should say calling out 
the emotionally abusive behavior will change the dynamic of the relationship. Because once you call it out, it's out. It's out. It's one flag. Let's pray. Father, relationships are so vital. I mean, they're everywhere. Our whole society made up of relationships. Moms and dads and kids to parents and parents to kids and in-laws and employer-employee and pastors and, and people within the church and staff members and schools and students and on and on. And the more healthy our relationships, the more healthy our communities and our nation, our world. But the more weak and the more unhealthy these relationships, everything begins to fall apart. That's so why we take time every year to deal with relationships and help strengthen them and speak truth into them. This is tough because sometimes we got to confront things that we would rather ignore. we got to confront things that we don't want to really have to deal with. We want to just ignore people's behaviors and sometimes just take the, the weight on ourselves and try to absorb the sins of other people and try to absorb all the hurt and pain and we just deal with it. But, Father, there are people hurting. There are people and the flags are flying high and they're just ignoring them and they're continuing down a road that eventually will lead to pain that sometimes we don't come back from. Father, speak into our lives. Thank you for this small little passage of scripture tucked away in 2 Corinthians that gives us insight into what it really means to repent, what it really means to change, what it really means to be different. Father, our moms and dads and husbands and wives, our singles and those dating, our employers, employees, all the people in this place that are in relationship, we need to know the truth so the truth can set us free and bring healing and wholeness to us. Thank you for challenging us. Thank you for dealing with this. Thank you for bringing some light into some of our dark worlds. And Father, we ask you to continue this work until it's complete. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, guys. Thank you so much for being with us.